it's really sad. It's really scary. Climate change is a real thing. Tonight, B.C. shrouded in smoke from U.S. wildfires. Why this thick hazardous haze may not clear for days. Plus, closing time for a Gastown bar, another COVID casualty. Also, a man is seriously injured in a grizzly bear attack near Pemberton. And... It's been absolutely decimated. Protesters say a move to protect B.C.'s old-growth forest is too little too late. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. An eerie sight this morning in downtown Vancouver, a smoky haze blanketing the city and most other parts of our province. And this is a live shot of downtown right now. People are advised to avoid strenuous outdoor activity and keep their windows closed. At one point, Vancouver had some of the worst air quality in the world. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. There is no escape from that thick, choking smoke drifting north from massive fire, forest fires, literally causing death and destruction along the U.S. West Coast. Julia Foy has more on the conditions here and when they might clear. Metro Vancouver residents are used to foggy days in September, but this is much harsher. It looks kind of post-apocalyptic, actually. It's kind of kind of spooky. Air quality experts say the orange haze that's been blanketing much of BC for several days is bad, but Saturday's numbers reached a new peak. Air quality today is uh, still in the very high health risk category. Uh, the pollutant of interest here is fine particulate matter, and we're getting concentrations of about 140 to 150 micrograms per cubic meter. The smoke is coming from wildfires that are raging down the U.S. West Coast from Washington State to California. Weather conditions have pushed the smog into our backyard. It's really sad. It's really scary. Um, I feel really bad for what's going on in Oregon, and it kind of reminds me of the summer of 2017. So I just hope it goes away really quickly. BC experienced severe fire seasons in 2017 and 2018. This summer, our forest fire numbers are much lower, but south of the border is a different story. And we should expect this to continue. But it just shows you that, you know, you don't have to necessarily the fires, you have the result of fires. And, and certainly uh, it's you're importing all of this air from the United States and, uh, and it is causing certain health issues for a good number of people. The thick smoke isn't just irritating to your eyes, nose and throat. A UBC doctor says it can cause serious damage. And the problem with these uh, particulate matter is that... Um, that we inhale them and that they go very deep into our respiratory tract and into our bloodstream and can cause significant damage both to the lungs and to the heart and elsewhere. Officials say everyone should avoid exercising outside and keep windows and doors closed in your home until the smoggy phase is over. But if you do go out, you might consider wearing your COVID mask. We know that exposure to degraded air quality or poor air quality like we're having right now increases the public susceptibility to COVID-19. Metro Vancouver reps say air quality should start to improve on Sunday, but it's unclear how long the smog will stay away. Climate change is a real thing. It's scary and uh, it doesn't seem to be getting any better. Julia Foy, Global News. A 36-year-old man is recovering from a grizzly bear attack north of Pemberton. The B.C. Conservation Officer Service is warning people to stay away from the North Creek Trail where it happened yesterday evening. The victim was with three people hiking to a backcountry cabin. He'd gone ahead of his companions and ended up surprising a mother bear and her cubs. 
Masao mauled him twice. The man fought back each time, but was left with serious puncture wounds to his hand and right leg. Because this was a defensive attack, the bear will be left alone. As for the man? Well, he's lucky to be alive and to not have more serious injury. It's, he's not lucky in the sense that uh, it's a very traumatic experience and that we wish that he will recover very well. Um, but he could have been a lot worse. So it is very important that uh, people that adventure themselves in the backcountry stay as a group, are well-educated and have the right tools uh, to, to mitigate situations like this. Less than a week after BC's top doctor ordered pubs to stop serving liquor after 10 p.m., we're starting to see the first financial casualties of that COVID-19 public health order. A Vancouver pub has closed its doors, and as Kristen Robinson reports, the industry fears many more will follow. I just saw the photos there. I was trying not to well up on that. Matt Thompson should be pumping out drinks. Instead, he's clearing out years of memories. I had to look them straight in the eye and tell them we got to close the doors. The Metropole GM forced to break the news to his bosses. The latest public health order, the nail in the coffin for the pub on the edge of Gastown, which does nearly 60% of its business after 10 p.m. If you cut our sales by half with these original restrictions and again cut that by more than half, we're, we're, we're just bleeding out. With a more than $30,000 a month lease, the Met can no longer afford to pay staff or order product. The only option on tap, to shut down. There's no point, we'll get into a hole that we can't get out of. Instead of losing half the industry, we could end up losing 60% of it. The new rules implemented after crowd scenes like this spread during the pandemic. This is Friday night on the Granville Strip now. Fearing hundreds of businesses will close, the industry is asking the province to extend liquor service from 10 until midnight. To get those last couple of hours in, that'll make the difference between bankruptcy and not for a lot of folks. It makes no sense to punish 100% of the industry if like 5% of it is the problem. For six of your guests, you have a table. The Blue Grotto nightclub in Kamloops ordered to close days after reopening and spending thousands on COVID safety measures. We're suffering in the interior for what's going on in the lower mainland in a much larger market. We're accidentally forcing this activity underground uh, and that's not going to have the desired impact of reducing caseloads. For now, it means last call is over at the Met, where Thompson is putting together a resume for the first time in 15 years while worrying about a dozen laid-off staff. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A First Nation community in Powell River is seeing a huge spike in COVID-19 cases in recent days. 20 members of the Slyamon on the Sunshine Coast have tested positive for the virus. It comes after a local state of emergency was declared over the outbreak. Drive-through testing was conducted Thursday, and the First Nation says it is doing contact tracing on all those who tested positive. A shelter-in-place order remains in effect for all 1,100 members, and children will have to do their schoolwork from home until they're cleared to go back to school. More on a frightening situation from yesterday afternoon. BC's police watchdog agency, the Independent Investigations Office, is looking into a police-involved shooting outside a Cabela store in Abbotsford. Just after 3.30, officers responded to an attempted theft at the store. 
Police say one officer confronted two men who were running away. They allegedly rammed the officer with a shopping cart and pepper sprayed her. The suspects fled, but as the officer got up, one returned, pepper sprayed her a second time and assaulted her. The officer drew her pistol and shot the suspect. The officer and suspect were both taken to hospital. Witnesses say the cart was full of ammunition. Both suspects are in custody. In downtown Vancouver this morning, police arrested a suspected car thief. Vancouver police say a car was reported stolen last night from a dealership. That vehicle was located by GPS near Abbott and Hastings Street. When the suspect returned to the car, he was challenged by police. He allegedly refused to comply and fled. Police cruisers blocked his escape and he was taken into custody with help from a canine unit. The suspect is known to police and was sent to hospital. Officers in Kamloops had a large part of the downtown core behind police tape today after a 33-year-old man was found with stab wounds early this morning. He later died of his injuries. A preliminary investigation by Kamloops RCMP found there had been a fight in the parking lot of the Acadian Motor Inn. At about 8.30 this morning, a 32-year-old man was arrested in connection with the attack. They say the victim and suspect knew each other and the public is not in danger. No names have been released. Kelowna RCMP returned to the scene of a fatal shooting today. Officers blocked off Pooley Road at McCulloch Road for several hours this morning. On August 30th, RCMP were notified when a man with a gunshot wound drove himself to the emergency department at Kelowna General Hospital. Another man who was fatally shot was in the vehicle. Police identified the deceased as 34-year-old Corey Allen Patterson. A controversial billboard in Vancouver was taken down a day after it was put up. The billboard with the saying, I heart JK Rowling, went up yesterday morning. The UK author has been accused by critics of transphobia for mocking a headline about people who menstruate. Chris Elliston and Amy Aileen Hamm tell Global News they paid an undisclosed amount of money to the Patterson Group to put up the billboard in support of Rowling after a similar billboard was taken down at a train station in Edinburgh. Soon after, Elliston says he received threats about the sign and the billboard was defaced. This afternoon, the Vancouver sign was also taken down. Somebody stepped up and spent their own resources to put this sign up, I think is really, um, a, 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 it, it gives voice to a very large number of people who are not being heard otherwise. It really sends a message where like, as a queer individual, it, it, it's a bit hurtful to see something that could be a bit like a welcoming, I guess, to like, when people enter the city and me living here, I, I'm surprised that something like this was put up. We reached out to the Patterson Group, but didn't hear back by deadline. What could have easily been a tragedy has turned into a public appeal. A Deep Cove couple is looking for a group of boaters who alerted them to a fast-moving wildfire near their home. Little did Oliver Vincent and Linda Daw know this forest fire had broken out in trees just behind their house Wednesday night. That is, until boaters on Indian Arm got their attention. They alerted the couple to the fire danger, giving them enough time to get out. But the couple picked up and left so quickly, they didn't get the names of the Good Samaritans. 
Vincent and Da are hoping somebody recognizes the people so that they can thank them properly. There's two or three people in there who are replaying right away. No, there's a forest fire uh, where right behind your house. And at that, that, that time, I could turn around and behind the house, the house, we couldn't see it from the living area. There is, you know, a lot of smokes and flames already. But we were so busy with our house and the, the, the fire department um, that we didn't, they were gone before we got a chance to say oh, yeah. anything we, to them. We owe them a few bottles of wine or, or a full tank of gas for their boats or something like that. But, uh, and most of everything, a big thank you. Some concerned citizens are demanding that all Stanley Park roadways be accessible to all. In June, the Vancouver Park Board converted a vehicle lane to a bike lane as part of its pandemic response. As Nadia Stewart reports, the protest comes as a city survey over the controversial lane to access is set to wrap up this weekend. And I know that people like to say that there's already access for everyone, but I'm talking about easy access for everyone. They are Vancouver residents, some living with mobility challenges, who say they've had a tough time over the last several weeks trying to access Stanley Park. Because I used to like to go to the park with my aunt, but now I can't come anymore. Ali and her aunt Shauna say COVID-19 changes affecting pedestrians, cyclists and drivers has not translated into easier access for them. I understand when they closed it for the summer, they needed more access, but it's time. It's time to open it back up for everyone and throwing orange cones up around the park is no solution. Over the summer, the park board voted to take away one lane of vehicular traffic, giving it exclusively to cyclists. Because they've changed the NPA commissioners John Cooper and Trisha Barker voted against the motion. Some residents have taken issue with the move since it was first introduced in April. Disability advocates have filed a human rights complaint. This has got to be a discrimination and, uh, under the uh, Human Rights Act. The Human Rights Act uh, has a number of things you can't discriminate against, race, gender, but it also includes uh, the elderly. It also includes, includes the disabled. The Park Board says the measures are and have always been temporary and that plans were in place to remove the traffic cones. In the coming weeks, we'll be working with our partners in Stanley Park, um, sharing the details on, on the timing of the removal of the uh, temporary management plan. But those here are not convinced, worried these temporary changes could eventually become permanent. So they're already from the beginning were bad faith. They didn't actually give any notice to the public about what they were planning to do. They didn't have a public meeting. And so they won't believe this was just a temporary move until the cones are permanently removed. Nadia Stroke, Global News. The province, trying to bring about peace to the war in the woods, this week announced an end to divisive old-growth logging policies. Now, while environmentalists say it is a step in the right direction, as Paul Johnson reports, they're not ending their blockades anytime soon. As you get up over the ridge, it's actually a, an ancient yellow cedar forest. Will O'Connell has spent several weeks this summer on a blockade of a logging road on southern Vancouver Island, where activists say loggers are poised to clear-cut a stand of yellow cedars above Ferry Creek that are more than a thousand years old. Our last ancient forests are being lost, and everybody knows it, and the politicians say they're going to do something about it, and nothing's changing. 
But on Friday, the politicians did make some changes, with the Ministry of Forests announcing plans to defer logging of old growth in nine areas around the province, totaling more than 350,000 hectares. Those deferrals will last for at least three years, time for them to come up with a new strategy to balance protection of some old growth with support for forestry workers. Today is a good day. Jens Weeding of the Sierra Club will take this as a win, but says there's less than 3% of our original old growth left, and Friday's announcement still falls short of what he believes yeah, needs to be one. done. These deferrals can only be a first step. Across BC, there are hundreds of cut blocks in endangered ecosystems, and without additional deferrals and without a real reduction in the cut, we will not see the shift that we need. Back on the Ferry Creek blockade, Friday's news doesn't change things much. These cedars are not protected by the new deferrals, nor are tens of thousands of hectares of similar forests that are still available to be logged while the government works out its plan. The forestry company that activists are opposing here, Teal Jones, didn't respond to our request for comment. And people like O'Connell are determined not to give up. We will block road construction into Ferry Creek for eternity. There will be no building of roads into that watershed. In Port Renfrew, Paul Johnson, Global News. The province is partnering with the Huayat First Nation on a nearly $31 million upgrade to Banfield Road. The 76-kilometer logging road that links Port Alberni and Banfield will be hard surfaced to improve safety. There have been numerous crashes there over the years. Last September, UVic students Emma Machado and John Geerdes died when a charter bus went off the unpaved stretch between Port Alberni and Banfield Marine Sciences Centre. We share losses of loved ones, and, and I look forward to the day that, that I'll be able to meet the families of, of, those, of those students that were lost. This, this just goes to show that when people work together, we start to look at how we can get it done rather than looking at why we can't get it done. The B.C. government will contribute $25.7 million to the three-year project, while the Huyat will pick up the rest of the tab. The province is approving bylaws banning single-use plastics in Richmond, Victoria, Saanich, Tofino and Eucluet. Victoria was the first municipality in the province to adopt a plastic bag ban in 2018, but it was struck down in a court challenge from the Canadian Plastic Bag Association. B.C.'s top court ruled the capital city had exceeded its legal authority by implementing the ban without provincial approval, which was required under the community charter. Now, B.C. is proposing to draft a new regulation under the community charter. Uh, it'll take six to eight months to develop it to allow local governments to ban certain single-use items, whether it's shopping bags, straws, foam takeout containers, without the need for provincial approval. So we will begin uh, work on developing a legal framework to allow a provincial ban for priority single-use items that create uh, untold amounts of plastic pollution. An annual event raising funds for BC kids with special needs is looking a little bit different this year. 
Variety's Boat for Hope is ditching the high waters for a drive-through pirate-themed treasure hunt. Fifty vehicles at a time can make their way to the rooftop parking lot at Coquitlam Town Center. From there, they're directed to a number of treasure stations. That's where kids will be given loot bags and along the way entertained by musical acts, unicyclists and, of course, pirates in cars. We had to run it for the kids. They wait for this all year long. So we switch the boats over to cars. Kids are all coming in cars. They stay in their cars. They get throughout the route here and we give them pirate loot. They end up with a little music, a little lunch. Them. Variety Week kicks off Monday here at Global BC. On each newscast, we will meet amazing kids and find out how Variety has helped them thrive. Quebec is taking a very different approach to its COVID restriction enforcement than B.C. Starting today, police in that province can slap hefty fines on people who refuse to wear masks where they're deemed mandatory. Officers across the province are now able to hand out tickets of between $400 and $6,000 for those who do not wear a face covering in indoor public spaces or on public transit. It comes on the heels of the government banning karaoke following an outbreak that infected more than 90 people in Quebec City. Police in that city will also be policing the two-meter distancing rule at outdoor spaces. While parts of B.C. are dealing with smoky skies, the situation is far worse south of the border. As many as 100 wildfires are burning from Washington state all the way down to Mexico. At least 26 people have been killed and more than a million hectares burned. And as Jennifer Johnson explains, it's a situation that's not going to end anytime soon. The familiar glow of orange, a daily nightmare for millions of residents in Washington State, Oregon and California. Hundreds of out-of-control wildfires are scorching the land, leaving death and destruction behind. In Washington State, Jamie and Jake Hyland were camping with their one-year-old son, Uriel, and couldn't escape in time. The boy died, the parents badly burned. In my worst dreams, I couldn't imagine what my sister and brother-in-law had to go through and to do everything they could to fight for their lives and to protect their child. Oregon officials are preparing for mass fatalities. Dozens of people are missing. At least half a million residents have been told to leave their homes. Everything I've ever owned, uh, all my memories, stuff from my family is just all gone. The heavy smoke is also threatening lives. Right now, our air quality ranks the worst in the world due to these fires. California's governor and many scientists blame climate change for the worst wildfires in the state's history. Dry land and whipping winds have created a deadly combination, preventing those on the front lines from getting the upper hand. There is no downtime because Mother Nature doesn't give us that. Firefighters say they are facing the most explosive blazes they have ever seen and warn the land is so dry, these fires could burn well into the winter months. Jennifer Johnson, Global News. And this is Brazil's Pantanal region, where animal rescue units and volunteers are racing to find and remove endangered animals from wildfires. Thousands of hectares are being consumed by the fast-spreading fires threatening endangered species in the area. Scientists say the wildfires are one of the worst on record, affecting 10% of the region. Many of the fires have been set by ranchers and farmers to clear land for cattle grazing, but conditions have caused many of the blazes to rage out of control. 
After months of delays, the Afghan government and the Taliban are finally holding peace talks in Qatar. Both sides have been at war with each other for 19 years, which has left tens of thousands of people dead. In February, the U.S. helped broker a deal which includes Afghanistan agreeing to release 5,000 Taliban prisoners, while the Taliban said it would free 1,000 Afghan troops. The U.S. Secretary of State says he knows the negotiations will be tough, but is urging both sides to be patient and respectful. The deal also means the U.S. must withdraw all of its troops from Afghanistan by May. In health matters, Oxford University and pharmaceutical firm AstraZeneca are set to resume clinical trials on a potential COVID-19 vaccine in Britain. Testing was paused for nearly a week after a volunteer in the UK developed unexplained symptoms of a rare spinal cord inflammation. Now that an independent safety review has been completed, the British trials will move forward. AstraZeneca also says it's working with international health authorities to resume testing elsewhere, including the U.S. The university said an estimated 18,000 people around the world had received study vaccines as part of the trial. Pauses in drug trials are not unusual. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. What happens when your pet outgrows your apartment? The story of Bacon the Pig, right after Yvonne's forecast. But first, have a look at this. <laughs> A pod of orcas put on quite the show in Campbell River last night. Leanne Storback, who shot this video, was driving with her husband on the island highway when the pair pulled over near the Discovery Fishing Pier. She says the crowd was in awe of the majestic creatures, which popped up near various other beaches as the sun began to set. Absolutely beautiful, although I have to say, Yvonne, not much of a sunset last night where I could see. It was just so smoky. Yeah, and we are going to continue to see that. That'll be the weather picture that'll take us in towards the latter half of the weekend. There may be a brief break as we get into early next week with the shift in the winds, and I'll have your smoke forecast coming up in just a moment. So a quick glance. This is what it looks like on the tower cam out there. Uh, we'll continue to see that overnight and through the day tomorrow. Temperatures are currently sitting at 15. We've got a southerly wind. It is light and it's sitting at around 7 kilometers per hour. Temperatures have warmed up today, especially for the interior, into the low 30s. A few spots to highlight, Lillooet and Kamloops getting up to 31 degrees in areas near Cranbrook for the southeastern corners of the province, bumping up to 29 degrees. So here's a quick glance. As you can see from Metro Vancouver uh, for the air, uh, the air Quality Health Index, it's sitting at very high. Areas in towards the interior hovering around low. Whistler today sitting at moderate, but we are going to see that across the south coast again for tomorrow at very high. So if you do have any respiratory issues, Please be very cautious. Now, the Smoky Skies Bulletin is in grey, and that's blanketing pretty much the entire province. We'll likely see this over the next few days. Um, also, a reminder to limit outdoor activity and take extra precautions to reduce your exposure. Now, here's a glance at the satellite. It is going to remain dry for most areas across the province. The exception tomorrow will be in for the northeastern corners, with the chance for some rain pushing in across the region. But the winds are the big weather story in that we're tracking, especially for the forecast. It continues to be southerly as we get in towards tomorrow. And then on Monday, there is the potential to see a shift to southwesterly and potentially westerly winds. And that could clear things or improve the air quality. So Monday, Tuesday, there could be a slight improvement. And then we'll see the shift in winds again. And then on Wednesday, we could be back to those smoky skies. If we do see a break on Monday... 
It'll be very brief, so we are going to keep a close eye. Here's a smoke forecast on one of the models. This is indicated from Environment Canada. We can see that with the southerly winds bringing in the smoke across the region. And another one, this is from uh, firesmoke.ca. Here's a look at uh, the fire danger rating, a reminder for us here in BC. If you are outdoors, please be very diligent with your camp, uh, campfires and disposing of your cigarette butts because the southern half of the province, we're still sitting at high for our fire danger rating. Now, the northern half of the province We'll see drier conditions tomorrow. Temperatures will be up to 15 degrees. And we are looking at that air quality advisory and the smoke potentially getting into the northern half of the region. Even across coastal areas, there could be some local smoke. Now, the northeastern corners of the province, some wet weather, temperatures into the single digits. Most areas across the central interior bumping closer to 20 degrees. It's still warm for the southern half with temperatures up to 30 for areas near Kamloops. We are looking at widespread smoke with the southerly wind for tomorrow. Whistler will be into the low 20s and anticipate another smoky, hazy day. So if you have respiratory issues tomorrow, please limit the amount of time outdoors. We are going to potentially see a bit of a brief break, clearer air or an improvement with our air quality on Monday. A chance of showers on Tuesday and then looking ahead towards Wednesday, Thursday, temperatures bumping up to 21 and 23. Colleen? All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Finding affordable housing can be difficult, but it's even harder when you have a pet pig. Yeah. Bacon, that's his name, is a playful three-year-old large white pig that lives in an apartment in Madrid with his two owners, Sarah and David. Well, Bacon was just a tiny piglet when Sarah brought him home, but he's outgrown them and their apartment, and neighbors say, time to go. The couple says they're trying to find a larger place to live, but no one will accept Bacon. The pig is a bit of a celebrity in this area of Madrid, but even that isn't apparently cutting any ice. And you should know that his full name, Bacon is just his last name, his full name is Christopher P. Bacon. Chris P. Bacon. There you go. <laughs> I guess he's a little messy and he doesn't smell great, but other Probably than that, it's the heck of a pig. <laughs> he's very sweet, I'm sure. What do you got coming up? Uh, well, it's kind of ladies' day uh, tonight on sports. Uh, one great, per- a couple of great performances, one from someone we kind of expect to do it all the time, and one uh, from a player who's kind of had tough times. So we'll have highlights of uh, both of theirs. I'll keep you in suspense until then. Yes, you will. All right. Thanks so much, Barry. This is the time of year snowbirds start preparing to head south for the season, but with travel still not advised, many will have a tough decision to make. And as Nicole Stilger reports, they may risk more than just their health. You know, it's a tough decision for us. For roughly the last decade, Clint McElwain and Darlene Fessick have spent a big chunk of winter in Arizona. We just felt that it, it, it wasn't worth it for us this year. So these snowbirds are staying put. We have a deposit in for 2022, and we, we hope to get back because we love it down there. The AMA gauges snowbird traffic through travel medical insurance sales, and Nicola Barubi says sales are down considerably, mainly because of coverage exclusions under the current government travel advisory. That advisory states to avoid non-essential travel outside of Canada due to COVID-19. That would mean that if you're outside of Canada and you contract COVID-19, you would not have coverage related to that condition. Barubi notes with the borders closed between Canada and the U.S., even if a Canadian owns property there, it may not be enough. We're hearing that snowbirds are, are not necessarily going to be allowed to travel down for that reason. Teresa Rudd and her husband were looking forward to five months in Mexico. It was like, yay, another five months down in paradise. 
but it didn't work out that way. They put a deposit on this property last December, but now they're not taking any chances and crossing their fingers for next year. Years since we've actually spent an entire winter here, so it's going to be a big change. The AMA says ultimately travel is a personal choice. If a snowbird wanted to still travel, they need to consider what their personal health is like and are they at risk because just uh, having coverage maybe isn't uh, enough to consider. So for this pair, it looks like they'll just have to wait to see this again. I will miss the weather and the activity. Nicole Stilger, Global News. Earlier, we told you Quebec is implementing big fines to enforce mask regulations. Well, a business in Prince George is hoping to incentivize health and safety with a different approach. Instead of making masks mandatory for customers at the bookstore and company store, they're offering those who do wear a face covering a price break. Mask wearing customers will get a 5% discount on their book purchases. The owners say it's helping avoid confrontation that can happen when you force people to comply. And so far, the response has been positive. I think it's great. It encourages people and it rewards for wearing a mask. I, I love it. I did not, but I happened to have one in my back pocket. Barry's here with sports. And Barry, you intrigued me with your promo earlier about it being women's night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're starting, starting with the ladies, the first three stories. Needed some good news today and we got some. You know, it's been a tough week. The Canucks are out. Raptors are out. Canadian men's tennis players are out at the U.S. Open. Now what? How about Canada's winningest pro golfer ever, Brooke Henderson, who just turned 23 on Thursday. She fired a 7 under 65 today, the low round of the day, to catapult to the top of the leaderboard at the LPGA's first major since their restart, the ANA Inspiration from Palm Springs, formerly known as the Dinosaur. For those of you like me who can remember back that far, Brooke started the day six shots behind leader Nelly Korda, but after an eagle at the par five second, Henderson with the nice approach at the fourth, just to a couple of feet, led to a birdie, definitely feeling it on moving day. After another birdie at the sixth, Henderson rolls in one more at the seventh. Five under for the day already, up to ten under, just two off the lead. And then at the par five ninth, third shot just short of the green, showing off that short game led to another birdie, a six under 30 on the front for Brooke, and she's just one back. Then at the 11th, second shot on the par five from 220, catches the three wood perfectly, back of the green. And from there, a two putt birdie. So Brooke Henderson now tied for the lead, started the day way back in 16th place. She did bogey the 14th, but got it back at the 16th as she fires a seven under 65. And she's got the lead as they enter the final round. Now, the 36-hole leader, Nellie Corda, had some struggles early in her round, but she rebounded. Her second shot here at the 12th, and that's to within a couple of feet. Corda made birdie. She's tied at the top with Henderson at minus 12. It means she and Brooke will play in the final group Sunday, going for the LPGA's first major of the season, the ANA Inspiration. Canada's Eugenie Bouchard finding her old form this week at the Istanbul Istanbul Open in Turkey. Her ranking and falling to 272. She was ranked number five back in 2014 when she went to the Wimbledon final. Won the first set against Paula Bedosa of Spain. Had to win two qualifiers just to get into the main draw. And she's 26 years old now, maybe finding some maturity on and off the court. All the top players, of course, at the U.S. Open this week, but Jeannie's still playing 
players in the top 100, and she really dominated today and on match point. She's going to hit the ace, and she is off to a final for the first time since 2016. If she wins, her world ranking will climb inside the top 150 and hopefully turning everything around. U.S. Open Women's Final 2018 champ Naomi Osaka of Japan taking on Victoria Azarenka of Belarus. Azarenka dominated the opening set, took just 27 minutes as... She rips the winner here to cruise 6-1, but Osaka responds in the second set, recovered from an early break. Big serve, and then puts it away at net, and Osaka took the second set 6-3. So we go to the deciding set. Osaka serving for the match. Shows some spectacular defense here to stay in the point, and Azarenka will eventually... Hit into the net, and Naomi Osaka wins her second U.S. Open title, third Grand Slam singles title overall, also won the Aussie Open in 2019, and she's only 22 years old. The first NFL Sunday is mere hours away. The Seahawks, considered a contender in the NFC, open tomorrow morning in Atlanta, 10 a.m. kickoff. Seattle improved its secondary in the offseason, hoping to hold down other teams so that Russell Wilson and the offense don't have to score 35 points per week to win. The Seahawks return, and Chanel returns in the red zone. The Seattle Seahawks return for the 2020 season, better than last year, well, at least on paper. Now, the team underwent some big changes, and the defense is much improved. Overall, Seattle is poised to return to the playoffs for the third straight year. But how good is this team, and how far can they go? Once again, it will be up to Russell Wilson to lead this offense. He was tremendous last season, throwing for over 4,100 yards, 31 touchdowns, and just five interceptions. But injuries to his offensive line and some of his main weapons meant an early exit in the playoffs. Now, off-season priorities included upgrades to the offensive line, as Wilson was sacked a league-high 48 times. The biggest addition in the offseason was Jamal Adams. With Quinton Dunbar, the Hawks could have the best secondary in the NFL. Adams should bolster Seattle's run defense, which was ranked in the bottom half. As for the pass rush, it struggled just 28 sacks last season. With Jadavian Clowney gone, the Seahawks will need to get it done by committee. The Hawks were number four in rushing. Chris Carson leading the way. He comes off a career best, 1,230 rushing yards but was hurt late in the season. Now, if the run game is stymied, Wilson does have a plethora of options downfield, including DK Metcalf, who is coming off a solid rookie campaign. Seattle also added tight end Greg Olson and Philip Dorsett, both coming in as free agents. Seattle averaged 25 points a game in 2019 and expect the offense to put up just as many this coming season. The Seahawks are in the toughest division in football, but should still reach double digits for wins. Then it'll be up to Russell Wilson to see how far this team can really go. The obvious goal? Head to Tampa for Super Bowl 55 in February. All right, Game 4 Western Conference Final. Stars up two games to one on the Vegas Golden Knights. First period, Vegas with some good early chances. Max Pacioretty with the shot. Anton Hudobin, who's been very good in goal for Dallas with the save. Scoreless after one, but in the second, Golden Knights break through on the power play. Alec Martinez with the one-timer beats Hudobin, but Joe Pavelski's just tied it. 1-1 now in the second. 
NBA playoffs. Lakers looking to punch their ticket to the Western Conference Finals. Game five against James Harden and the Rockets. First quarter, Lakers come out firing. LeBron James throwing down the dunk. 13-2 Lakers. They led 33-11 at one point in the first, but Houston went on a 20-5 run. Harden, who only hit two field goals in game two, hits the three. He had 19 in the first half. The lead was down to seven. LeBron also had 19 to lead the Lakers, hitting the driving layup late here. Lakers have stretched it out now 79-61 in the third. Baseball tonight, Blue Jays and Mets from Buffalo down to the final 16 games of the season. And the Jays are in really good shape to make the playoffs. Of course, eight teams make it in this strange COVID season. Top third, how about Lourdes Gurriel Jr. with the great defense. Jays starter Robbie Ray appreciating that effort. In the sixth, 2-1 Jays, Jonathan VR grounds a base hit through the drawn-in infield. Vladdy Guerrero Jr. scores 3-2 Jays lead right now in the eighth. And we'll finish with soccer. He had the English Premiership new season kicked off today. Defending champs Liverpool taking on newly elevated Leeds United. A wild first half already 2-2. Ball falls to Mo Salah with his second of the game. The first was from the penalty spot. 3-2 Liverpool at half. But Leeds were a scrappy bunch. 66th minute Matthews click with the wonderful finish. It's 3-3 but in the 88th Salah from the spot again Fires in his hat-trick goal, and Liverpool escape as they beat Leeds 4-3 in the opener of the EPL. It's funny, Yvonne got nostalgic with the shot of the Grizzlies pair. It's been a while. It has been a while. Okay, there are fishtails, and then there's this. A story one Kamloops boy will be telling for years to come. It's not every day you rescue rescue your dog and catch a fish all while balancing on the back of a boat. But that is exactly what 10-year-old Kaysen Plyscott, I hope I got that right, did yesterday while salmon fishing on the South Thompson River in Pritchards. In less than 10 seconds, he fishes out the dog and nets a fish and doesn't miss a beat. Everyone on board breaking into cheers with his balance, his skill, and his priorities for rescuing the dog first. It's like the dog doesn't even, didn't care. Oh, get out of the way. He's like, oh, mm, there you go. Put the dog out. Multitasking, um, I guess. Exactly. Uh, before we go, one last check on the weather situation. Widespread smoke once again for tomorrow. Air quality index uh, very high, so please be very careful outdoors. We may see a bit of a break or improvement in the air quality on Monday, hopefully. All right, Jordan's here at 11. Thanks for joining us. Have a good night.